If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 374 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan and today I am joined for the first time on the big podcast by the legend himself, Harry Powell as Graham is out. He's in Cyprus or somewhere, sunning himself to fucker. Uh, Harry, how are you? Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Waking up early on this beautiful Sunday morning after uh, after a big pay-per-view. How are you today? Are you good? I am wonderful, sir. Thank you very much for the invite. You can call me Lissandra Martinez, making my debut for the United <laughs> I like it. You're not as small as that little lad, though. It's <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, we will get into the big card, though. Before we do that, we have to tell you that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Manscaped. And if you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're escaped from pubes to Boom. That's right. This is the summer you keep your balls cool. You weren't expecting that, Harry. Well, while still uh, looking hot with Manscaped, the leader in below the belt grooming is making sure we have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code SEVEREMMA. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 it is absolutely everything you need for that summer bod. Inside you find a lawn more 4.0, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver, uh, Crop Reviver, Toner, Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold it all in. You know, about the Lawnmower 4.0 at this stage, it has their advanced skin safe technology, 7000 RPM motor, multifunction on and on, uh, on and off switch for travel, and it gives you that ability to turn uh, the 4000K uh, LED spotlight on when you need it. Uh, it's waterproof too, so you can use it in the shower if that is your thing. And then the liquid formulations keep that freshness around the hottest bar barbecues of the summer most importantly use the crop preserver ball deodorant to stay cool uh, in the heat with a soothing aloe vera formula it's the best in the business for below the waist freshness manscaped even threw in two free gifts in the performance package 4.0 the shed travel bag and the boxers as well wearing sandals with some nasty toenails during the summer months well then take a look at the shears 2.0 as well a luxury nail grooming kit to this kit includes stainless steel nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors with the performance package. Your balls will be ready to impress, but make sure you cover the rest with the Shears 2.0. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. Right, Harry? 
Let's talk a little bit about uh, the fights from uh, from last night. Um, let's talk about the main event first of all. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my opinion first because I I actually I, I feel uh, I feel pretty strongly that Amanda Nunes actually didn't fight that well. Uh, I I didn't think she was great honestly. I thought uh, she went in there, she fought like a far inferior um, opponent. She dominated her, and she kind of fought within herself. Like, we, we talked about Israel Adesanya, obviously, a few weeks back, and it was a different sort of fight to the Adesanya fight because, you know, Kananir hadn't gone in and beaten Adesanya last time. But you got, you got this feeling that with every move that Amanda Nunes made, she was thinking of the first fight rather than fighting the second fight. You know, and I think she did some great tactical things. I think the Southpaw was very very like was uh, genius is probably a bit uh, a bit too much but like it took away basically everything from Juliana Pena like what Pena did in that first fight was kind of use the jab and walk forward and by Amanda Nunes switching to southpaw made her have to walk forward into like an extra maybe eight to ten inches of space where Nunes could just like take one extra step back counter her and she was dead every time like every single time she just counter her and she made it look so so easy against uh, against Nunes and uh, sorry against Pena <laughs> I remember one thing as well I said in the preview show like to, to fight the fight that Juliana Pena needed to fight to win the first time and again last night you need to be stupid right and I mean that as a compliment because to fight a man in Nunes and to walk forward you need a level of stupidity like uh, an intelligent sane person doesn't do that and I think Amanda Nunes pay, played into that because she knew she just set that trap throughout the whole fight Pena walked into it throughout the whole fight and she just destroyed her from pillar to post it was it was probably the easiest adjustment you'll ever see in in a rematch to you know to, to, to like uh to destroy someone after they beat you in the first fight and it really i say genius but it was really one simple switch to southpaw and counter with the right hand even when she was uh, not in southpaw she was kind of hitting her as well but it was uh it was a performance that was well thought out by Amanda Nunes, but it felt like there was so much more in the tank from my point of view. How did you see it? So I agree entirely with you that Nunes didn't fight well. Uh, I think she did fight within herself. I think she did second guess some movements. I completely agree that Southpaw was was the biggest takeaway. Um, Pena did still manage to get to her on a number of occasions, right? There were there were moments when Nunes, especially in the first round, where she was sticking completely to the game plan, right? And there was a couple of moments that I noticed where she would land a right hand and she would look to swarm. You could see her eyes widen and Nina on in the corner would scream at her to calm down, hold the hands up, padding the hands down, like you see from football managers when they want a bit of calm after a goal or whatever. And... I think that that was a big part of the game plan. A big part of the game plan, I think, was to not allow Pena to get into those exchanges, into those uh, grappling, clinch, or striking exchanges where it was more 50-50. I think your point on going to Southport is perfect because what did Nunes do? Well, she allowed Pena to walk onto her and then countered her every single time. 
in the times that she didn't counter were the times that Pena managed to cross the border of the feet, right, and get into the pocket. There she landed some some nice enough strikes. I do think, though, I think we saw a little bit of a mental wobble in the second when Nunes knocked her down multiple times, three times in that round, and Pena just popped back up and was still there, was still in there. And I think Nunes was like, what do I have to do to get this woman out? There was then a second adjustment where we saw the grappling. Now, I think some of the decision-making from the grappling wasn't great. There was no need to be in close guard over and over again. There was no need to put yourself back in close guard, especially when, whilst the, the submissions and stuff weren't great from, from Pena, the only close one was the armbar. I don't think that Nunes needed to take that risk or be in that situation in the first place, right? But... I mean, domination, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think you're absolutely right. The one question yeah. I'll ask you, though, mm -hmm. is uh, Amanda Nunez's child is almost two years old, right? It's been just over that since the Cyborg, since the Ronda, since the Misha Tate destructions, right? Do you think that Amanda Nunez becoming a mother has taken some of that viciousness, some of that, that uh, virality, some of that just the 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 just the brutality that we saw her take those fights on. Do we think some of that has, has, has gone? Because it certainly felt that way to me. I, I wouldn't say that based on her life change or anything like that. I think all of last night's fight was based on the first fight, really. And as you said there, like her fear that, you know, we talked about the, the Ralph Wiggum moment happening again, you know, where she sees herself losing the fight you know you can pinpoint the exact moment and I feel like she saw that like 10 times throughout the fight and then just like backed away from it like you could see her like in her mind say switch to southpaw you could like see her in her mind say it there was another uh, the Brandon Moreno fight where he was fighting out of the, the James Krause stance if you want to put it like that where uh, James Gallagher has been fighting in a similar stance recently you could see him kind of resetting and they said it in the commentary I think Rogan called it very well but Amanda Nunes did the same sort of thing and I think that was really it was like you know we spoke about it on, on the preview as well about like having the kind of the <clears throat> the mental place to go to to get yourself through a fight like this. And I feel like that was the mental place she went to. And it was very simple. That's a very smart thing to do and a very simple thing to do. So I, would, I wouldn't I would say that. I think, the, I think the mental block on this and her not opening up and her not being vicious in this fight was based on the first fight. Like, I think she very much saw this like McGregor versus Diaz too, where if you're going in, you're fighting Nathan Diaz. If your plan is to go in and knock him out in one round, it's probably a bad plan because he'll take shot after shot after shot after shot. You'll get tired and he'll still be there. Like, Pena is not that. Pena is not that she, Amanda Nunes, let's be honest here, Amanda Nunes got a little bit tired a tiny bit hurt and gave up in the first fight. That's been 100% brutally honest. And that's very easy for me to say here. But lads, your, your lies, your, your eyes don't lie. Go and watch that fight. Amanda Nunes would say it herself, if we're being honest. She quit in that first fight. She wasn't beaten. All Juliana Pena did was stay in there long enough to be lucky enough to have her hand raised because her opponent quit. And that was what, could have happened again last night, but it didn't happen. And Nunes did, had so many mental blocks in that fight to, to, to like, first of all, make her not do it, but also, like, prevent herself from doing it, if you get me. Like, 
and and I, I really like we could see a man in his fight in her next fight against whoever it might be Aspen Ladd or you know um, uh, Megan Anderson or whoever and she'd go out there and I, I I would be I would be very surprised if she didn't blast him out of there on her own so I don't think so but we a lot of questions come in we spoke about it over in Sherlock we spoke about it in the previous show a lot of it the questions coming in were mental questions if she could do it and I feel like those mental questions were almost answered in a negative way despite the win you know there's no shadow of a doubt about it that the first fight got to her mentally like she okay she changed up physically and uh, tactically for the the second fight but mentally she was absolutely rattled in in that fight and she fought that way as well now she fought very well and she fought uh, well she fought a very good winning fight but there's no doubt about it that she fought, uh, you know, a, a, a fight based on the first fight. And to kind of to, to run back to your question, I don't know the answer, to be honest, because I think we we will get those answers more in the next fight. Like, is Amanda Nunes shot? Is Amanda Nunes the, not the fighter she would be? I don't think we saw that last night because we saw the fighter who lost to Juliana Pena last night. We didn't see the Amanda Nunes with uh, an eight or ten week camp going into face an opponent, you know, game planning for that opponent based on their previous fights. We saw her game planning based on maybe the worst moment of her career and her not wanting that to happen again. So that is a and that's a thing that'll either work out well for her that she's come over that mental block and she can go back to being the best or and we've seen this before and this is the thing I've said about certain fighters you keep fighting the same fight for the rest of your career sometimes once you fight one person in a certain way or in a winning way and that's not good and especially for someone like Amanda Nunes I don't think that performance is the sort of performance you should be having against most people it's fine against Pena after you just lost her but I think against the likes of Megan Anderson and others like that if you're Amanda Nunes you should be gone out there and you should be taking them out having said that though a lot of what she did last night probably would take the likes of megan anderson and others out as well so what, what did you think of the middle block do you, do you think she's fundamentally changed yes the the okay so we spoke before and, and i i made the point on the preview i made the point on one man booth that that one of the things one of the the pivotal strengths of amanda nunez's game is shown by some of the stats, right? I think before the fight uh, last night, it was something like a 55% striking offense and a 51% striking defense or, or, or the other way around, right? That, to me, when you go and watch the fights against Cyborg, against Ronda, against Misha, against, against whoever, is she wants to be in the pocket and she wants to be landing where she knows she's more powerful and then forcing you to not be in the pocket. As you said, she's fighting the fight from last time and trying to right the wrongs from last time and did so, you know, she she won the fight this time and she won the fight handily, really opened up the face of Pena and, and caused a lot of damage. But I don't think, as you say, we saw Amanda progress, both technically or mentally, because even in Southpaw, she looked uncomfortable at times. She was forcing herself to reset at times, as you've already touched on. She got did get caught with square hips often. It was, it was, you're right. You're absolutely right. There's no better way that I could put this, that she was fine 
physically. She was fine technically. She wasn't fine mentally. Because even some of the, you know, getting caught in the trap triangle Oma Plata situation three or four times. Like when you've been there once, and I'm not saying any of them were close because they weren't, but when you've been there once, you're like, okay, this is what she's going to do. No problem. I'll just, when, when the trap triangle comes, I'll just make sure I'm posturing and not give her the arm. Fine. And yet three or four times we're, we're finding ourselves in the same iteration of submission chain. Now she was never in danger. Fine. But to put yourself in an, uh, a potentially negative situation just doesn't seem sensible to me when you are so much better on the ground than Pena is, specifically from an, uh, an, uh, a top position perspective. I think the other thing that mentally made me question things. And I don't like to look at this necessarily because it's a little bit of an intangible, but Amanda Nunes never wears headphones for weigh-ins. She never wears headphones for the walkouts. She wore headphones for both. Amanda Nunes never has the big smile on her face and touch of the hand at the start. She'll touch Cyborg's hand and she did so, but there's never the big grin and the friendliness and the, the softness, right? And she did that also when at the start, when they brought, brought them into the cage before the fight started, it was big smiles and hand touches. There was a hug and a smile in the fifth. Like it was Pena that disconnected from the hug and like pushed Amanda away. That's not um, the fierce lioness, Amanda Nunes, ultra protective, ultra vicious, ultra dominant. It's not the same person. Now is that, uh, is that just who Amanda is now? Or is that Amanda trying to uh, destroy the demons of the last fight? I don't know. But one thing I did think, and I'll throw this over to you is if Valentina Shevchenko was in there last night, what do you think happens? Yeah, uh, well, uh, based on last night's performance, I think Shevchenko would, would probably do pretty well. She, like, the thing about Nunes, when I, when I started this and said I didn't think she performed pretty, uh, very well, is because of what, kind of what you were saying there, especially about the grappling uh, aspect of it as well. Like, it felt like she was putting herself in specific situations where she could kind of just ride out positions, whether it was on the feet or on the ground, and just kind of slightly win from there. And she was happy enough to do that. Like, that's that's not what Amanda Nunes is. But I I, I believe that is a Juliana Pena second fight uh, fight, if you want to put it that way. I think she fought that way for Pena. I am... I'm convinced, and I, look, if I was to make the call, I don't think she'll fight that way in her next fight, as long as it's not against Juliana Pena. So I, I think a lot of that has to be has to be kind of maybe left on the back burner, and and we, you know we we will we will see maybe in the next fight. But yeah, it was <clears throat> it was an odd fight, really. It was a good fight, an odd fight, not a close fight by any means, not a classic or anything like that. But I I thought both of them kind of didn't fight great. Now Pena. Pinya probably fought as well as she can fight. If we're if we're being honest, Pinya's not that great of a fighter. A good fighter or not, but um, I want to talk about the scoring for a second. Maybe I, I'll just kind of run through kind of what happened because there was a few people were talking about ten eight something like that. So the first round, Nunes is basically bad. If, if, and if anyone didn't see the fight, it's kind of how it went from my my opinion. Anyway, Nunes was kind of battering her <clears throat> with the right, the counter right from the, the southpaw position, hurt her badly once, but was kind of afraid to go for it. So she knocked her down multiple times in the first and second round, and kind of just let her up every time. Had a, I wouldn't say she was like really devastatingly hurt at any stage, but at one stage 
stage. She was hurt that I think if she had gone down at that for landing a few elbows, it probably would have been a lot of damage on Pena. Maybe she wouldn't have got her out there. So the second round, it was kind of counters all day. Now, the second round was the closest, I would say, to a 10-8. I think the first round was definitely a 10-9. Uh, but <clears throat> the second round, close to a 10-8. The one big thing, and I saw, uh, I thought this, and I saw, I saw my guy, uh, Scott Fontana, saying this as well. The fact that she didn't kind of go down and make those knockdowns pay is kind of taken away from the effectiveness of them in terms of, like, she didn't prey on them. The, 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 the effect of a punch is not seen when the punch lands. It's seen in, like, the five seconds or the ten seconds after the punch. When someone's just kind of laying there, they can stand back up and go back to fighting normally. It doesn't show as big of an effect of a, the punch than if they're kind of hurt and if they're on the ground and all like that. I think that kind of maybe played against her a little bit. But anyway, it was, it was definitely borderline. I thought the third was probably borderline as well Nunes landed some shots she was on top she was in the guard she opened her up with a good few cuts in the fourth then there was a, an immediate takedown from Amanda Nunes um, she almost got caught in an armbar very well once but she did get out uh, I was kind of thinking every time she was almost caught in the armbar she's like well she's just going to pick her up and fucking pound her into the ground here and it's, an armbar is never going to work but Pena caught her in a good position up against the cage she almost had her but she never really did to be honest uh, the first the attempt was definitely better than the second one. There was massive elbows from Amanda Lea. That was without a shadow of a doubt the closest round. If you'd scored that round for Pena, I wouldn't disagree with you, honestly. That armbar was very, very good and very close. That was effective grappling. And then in the fifth, a few takedowns again. Pena was bleeding like a radiator really badly. Nunes had the back. She almost got the choke laid. Um, Pena got her all Kimura sweep that I was talking about. Like she got in the first round as well. But it let Amanda take her back. It was exactly what you said when we were talking about Kimura sweeps the last time. She was was just her back was so completely open and she took it from her from there so I scored at 50-45 I can definitely see a 10-8 in the second one without a shadow of a doubt if I was to do that again I might pull the trigger on the 10-8 in the third, I, I was was close, but I wouldn't, I don't think so. I, I've no problem with the 50-43. I've no problem with the 50-44. So, yeah, it was, it was one of them. And, you know, it was 49-45, or sorry, 49-44, anything like that. I wouldn't have a big problem with that either. So, uh, anything uh, that I said in the fight there, Harry, that you would disagree with or any, any points you'd, uh, you'd kind of pick up on how you score it? Uh, I scored it 50-45. Um, I didn't think that the second round was a 10-8 because, as you say, the knockdowns were great really lovely, powerful hitting, effective striking. But Pena popped up almost immediately and she popped up because Amanda Nunes didn't follow her down or didn't give her any threat of following her down, right? So um, we know that Pena's tough and, and is going to have a great poker face. So I, I don't think that you can, I don't think you can score that a 10-8. Yes, the knockdowns were there, but then the, it wasn't overwhelming damage, right? Like it wasn't. Um, this third round, again, I, th I think that one was 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 a dominant round. The elbows from the top um, that split Pena's face open real nice. Again, I'm going to say it again because I've, I've said it before. Kimuras from bottom half guard don't work when you overextend on them. If your shoulder is past the outside line of Amanda Nunes' shoulder looking for your Kimura, your back is available. And we saw it when Amanda Nunes did take the back. I think it was the fifth, right? Yeah, it was the fifth. It was, yeah. I wrote my notes, this is why Kimuras from bottom half guard are dumb. Because when you overextend like that, all Nunes has to do is posture up and drape her right leg over and she's on your back. And now you have a Kimura from the back with no leverage to finish it whatsoever. Also, you've committed both of your hands to one of Nunes's hands, which means what does she do? She tried to choke her immediately. So yeah, I mean, the, the half guard uh, Kimura's 
I don't like them. Um, but Kimura's from everywhere else, are, you know, they're, they're, they're fine and applicable. But yeah, I, I think you summed up the fight really, really well. Really, really well. My dad and Kimura's are more from takedowns. Like, you know, some people... Agreed. 100% yeah. agree. Yeah, so I, I would agree with you as well on, on the course from that position. But like, unless you're against the cage or in certain positions, grand, and you have to do them kind of very quickly and if you're going to get out because you will get the back taken. But however, yeah. It, look, overall... Uh, a, a, a win for Amanda Nunes, and that's that's the main thing. She got back her goat status, I suppose, is is has been held. Um, I, I'll be interested to see what's next for her. Maybe it's not a conversation for now. Maybe on hot topic this week, maybe that that'll be the conversation. But it it it, it I think we'll have to study who's going to be next for her because it could be Pena. You know, it could it could be Pena. It could be Shevchenko. She fought both of them twice already. You know, to be fair, so. It, you know, it could be someone at 145. It's a pity it can't be Kayla Harrison. I think Cyborg has only one fight left in her Bellator deal. Does she? I don't think the UFC are going to do business with her again, but that's a fight I would love to see again, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, it's a pity for the UFC, right, I think, that Kayla Harrison went to PFL, but went back to PFL when she did, because it feels like this could be the perfect time to kind of pass that torch. And as well from someone, here's a point as well I wanted to make coming into it, and I'm glad I remembered it now. Um, Amanda Nunes, right? It, I felt like this fight massively flew under the radar because this was a fight with huge implications. For like, for one of the greatest fighters, for the greatest female fighter of all time, and one of the greatest fighters, regardless of of weight class, gender, whatever, the uh, organization, and. I feel like because Amanda Nunes doesn't really do interviews because she doesn't really put herself out there, I feel like it flew massively under the radar. Like, and I think a big thing is well, like Ariel has a massive show, and when he gets someone on, it it gets out there, and there's articles going around and stuff. And when she's not on that, and when like the champion is not on that and is never on it and is never on any of the big shows, I feel like that massively hurts someone like that to, to draw and how people are talking about him and all of that. And I feel like Amanda Nunes had that coming into this fight. This is a fight that everyone should have been talking about and waxing lyrical about. And obviously we did the show on it on Sherdog and we did the preview show on it. We were talking about it an awful lot. And I just... Uh, I, it was one of those ones I was kind of trying to pay more attention to the coverage, but there wasn't much there. And that was kind of sad. So, like, I think the UFC... They can now because uh, Kayla Harrison's gone back to PFL. But if they could have got her into a fight right now and Kayla Harrison would have won and passed that torch, I think they would happily move past Amanda Nunes, even though she is a great fighter. Even though she, you know, she's actually drawn pretty well for them uh, in the past, but not always. But And I don't think this one will be a massive draw either. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time for that division. And I just thought I'd say that because I think... It, I think it's true. I really think it's true. Like, there was no other reason why that fight wasn't, like, massively talked about and massively promoted before it, other than Amanda Nunes doesn't really speak. And I think Juliana Pena is one of those people when she speaks, no one really cares. So it's, uh, yeah, it wasn't great. Anyway, let's talk about the co-main event and uh, Brandon Moreno versus Kai Cara France. Um... It was a close first two rounds, I would say, but I think Brandon Moreno won both of them. I think the left hooks from Moreno were so good. Uh, Kai Carafrance landed a right hand at one stage. It was like massively overblown by the commentary. I think he won. 
Uh, Moreno won 10-9 in that. Second round again was close. There was some nice leg kicks from Kai Cara France. Uh, Moreno landed some nice jabs. That left hook late was probably, to me, the best shot of the round. It wasn't that much landed in the second. Um, maybe you'll be able to give us a, a better recollection of like the tactical breakdown of it. I, I look and then obviously in the third we had the trip we had the elbow that's uh, from Kai France that caught Moreno uh, landed some nice shots after that and I thought Moreno lost a bit of composure as I said on the commentary but he regained it late and I don't think Kai France kind of saw that he regained it late and then we had the beautiful liver kick KO from Brandon Moreno it was a fight that I think at what, the very start of the fight, the first thing I noticed was how drained Kai Cara France looked. I think I think they looked two weight classes apart, and I think that showed that. I don't think you can be that, and this is a weird thing to say, I suppose, but I don't think you can look and be that drained looking, and that kind of thin, and take big liver kicks like that. Like, where's the protection? You know, you could see, if you imagine Francis Ngannou with his big muscles in his uh, solar plexus, uh, and this is very much bro science here, but it feels like if you get kicked there, there's more protection with Kai Kara France. It felt like he was so sucked down, and and he's not necessarily the biggest 125 in the world either. Um, he, he's actually probably smaller than Moreno, but Moreno looks so much bigger than him. It felt like you know, it felt like Moreno was weighing 150 in there, and he was weighing maybe 137 or eight. I think it was that big of a difference, and I think that kind of showed in the end. Moreno looked very good and very composed. I thought throughout the fight looked very looked long. Every time Kai Carafrance kind of came in, he was able to take that step and get away from him. And uh, I think James Kraus has to take a lot of um, has to take a lot of uh, you know pleasure in this win, but has to get uh, plenty of uh, you know plenty of the props too far. What, what did you think of it overall, Harry? I loved this fight. I loved everything about it. Um, the thing that interested me the most going in was how was the range battle going to be won? Kaikara France has that jittery, stuttery, skippy type of type of protruding stance, right? Where he's very flat footed until he's not. And he's really trying to find angles to, to force you to make decisions with your feet. We know that Brandon Moreno has the very awkward hand and upper body movement patterns. His stance is very, very long and he's able to cover distance really, really well. I think the first round showed us both the good things and the bad things of that of that stance for Brandon Moreno. He was able to evade a lot of the, the straight shots coming from Kai Kara France. He was able to cut angles really, really well. He was able to land his beautiful jab. The left hook was really nice. He hit the body quite well. But... He got that left leg chewed up, right? That lead leg got chewed up quite significantly. There was two shots. The first one was was obviously the 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 low shot, uh, and you know it's not an MMA title fight without a ball shot, right? Manscaped.com. Um, but uh, that that first leg kick caused quite bad redness on that left leg of of Moreno, and I think Moreno then slightly switched his stance up drew that left leg in slightly. We saw him use the the hip feint. So he straightens his leg and pulls his hip back to just a couple of inches to take that, to take that shot away. I completely agree with you that the second round we saw, sorry, the third round, we saw Brandon Moreno lose his composure and start to fight with his ego. Um, I do think, I also agree that, that he, he regained that composure really, really well. And the simplicity yet complexity of that liver kick was beautiful. He throws a left hook. Why? Because he brings Kaikara's hands up. 
He then cuts an angle, just a slight angle, but he cuts a, cuts a slight angle to his right. And he does that because Kai then has to think about what's coming next. And generally what's coming next from a left hook is probably a right hand from that angle cut, right? So he cuts the angle, Kai squares his hips up with his hands high. And as he's cutting the angle, as he's strafing the angle, he's creating movement in his body. So when that left liver kick comes, it comes with just a tiny bit more pop, a tiny bit more sting. And it's just so perfectly timed. You know, we don't know what happened in the Kaikara France weight cut. We can't, we can't say anything about that until it comes out. But there's potentially legs to what you're saying. If your weight cut is bad, you're draining your liver. You're draining your pancreas. You're draining all of your organs of, of vital nutrients and vital water that they need. If that's true and the weight cut was bad, that liver kick is a horrendous thing to take, right? Absolutely horrendous. So overall, I really loved the fight. I thought we saw lots of reads and lots of adjustments from both guys. I thought Kai Kara France came out and made some really nice adjustments in his footwork and in, in his ability to land shots in the second. But then Moreno came out and as we saw after the ego battle, the finish came. One thing I would like to talk about for, for Kai Kara France, and I'll, I'll ask you, is his ability to make reads and then land shots with superior timing. So he was seeing that Moreno was loading up a little bit on, on, his, on his kicks and managed to sweep him with a counter kick more than once. He managed to time some of Moreno's uh, blitzes in with counter shots. Do you think that uh, that's an improvement in his game that we're going to see going forward? Or do you think that's something that he's seen in this fight and and that's it? I know I, I do think it is something that we will, we will see going forward. Like, I don't think you can underestimate kind of the change that he did have in the game. And, and like, I think a lot of that was down to the new gym because we see, you know, we see, as I mentioned, James Gallagher fighting a similar sort of way, different but similar, if you get me, in, uh, to, to the way he fought. So... I, I do think that is something that we will see. Um, I, I think James Krause has guys fighting a more regimented sort of game, which I think is actually very good for uh, for uh, Brandon Moreno. Like, you look at Amanda Nunes, I actually think the regimented game is probably worse for her. If you get me, no, it'll win her some fights. And if she's fighting Valentina Shashinko, she needs to fight a regimented game, as we saw in the first two fights, and obviously the Pena fight here as well. I don't think she necessarily needed to, but she needed to mentally. Uh, I think Moreno is the type of guy, you know, he he said it himself, I'm I'm a Mexican and I, I want to get into the wars like the, my ancestors and all it is. And, you know, we that's why we love him and that's why we love, you know, fighters like him, whether it's him or Diego Sanchez or Gilbert Melendez or, uh, you know, Nathan Diaz. I, I'm naming a lot of uh, Mexican heritage fighters there, which is a great compliment to them, but I'm sure there's there's other lads as well, like John Lineker or whoever it might be. There's some great fighters down through the years. And I think, you know, look, this is the bit we have a lot in mixed martial arts. And uh, Michel Pereira is the example we I always use, you know, he, the more refined game for him has made, without a shadow of a doubt, has made him, made him a more... Um, Winning fighter, if you want to put it that way. It's probably made him a better all-around fighter, even though from my point of view, I would rather him just be fucking, you know, suplexing himself off the cage and, and things like that. But I yeah, I think for Moreno, like... For someone like Moreno, right? 
I don't think necessarily he needs to drag someone into a war like, say, Pena would against uh, Amanda Nunes. And now, I probably would have thought that two years ago or whenever it was. But I don't think so anymore. I think he's a good enough fighter now. I think he has, you know, we had that podcast this week about that experience. That experience of three five-round fights like he's had has really stood to him. You know, that the, the third fight... I saw a lot of people giving out about, uh, I think Rogan said it was close last night against uh, Figueredo. But, you know, whatever your opinion is on it, he fought he fought well in his last four fights, including last night and probably a few before that as well. And I think changes, adjustments, learning from that. My biggest issue with this coming in was that he would have been thinking of the last three fights and he would have been thinking of Figueredo. But he, he, I just saw no signs of that whatsoever. Like, Moreno came in, I think he looked brilliant from the start. Like, it was a fight that I was predicting and I think most people were predicting that Kai Cara France would probably win early and maybe lose late. But he kind of just lost the whole way through apart from that period in what was the third round where he landed that elbow and Moreno lost that bit of composure for maybe two or three minutes. Other than that, it was it was all Moreno. And I think a lot of that was down to the kind of the changes in his game. Would you agree with that or do you think it's, it's specific to this fight? No, maybe it is specific to this fight. And and maybe it's not necessarily specific to this fight. Maybe it's specific to this opponent and it's something could be used for other opponents, but it might be specific for other opponents as well, if you get me. So... I'm going to make a couple of points. The first point is is referencing that speaker's corner episode you just said, and and you mentioned that for fighters, the reason one of the reasons why experience is so valuable is because they get to have a reference point for future fights. Well, Moreno's gone in and he's had multiple fights with the scariest dude in the division, right? Scariest, scariest dude, and he's beaten him, and then he's lost to him. Obviously, whatever. But but he's performed at the highest level in that division. I think that's a reference point for somebody like Moreno to be like. Actually, I don't need the war. I've got the war in my back pocket. And that was one of the points I was going to make. That when that cut happened in the third, I think you awoke that beast a little bit. I think you awoke the war in Brandon Moreno, and he was like, "Okay, you want to do fist fighting? We can do fist fighting. Watch." But I. I feel as though the reference point of the of those Davis and Figueredo fights is that he's been to the top of the mountain. He knows that he can fight at a supremely high level and have success there. And I think that this, the the point you just made about Kai Kara France maybe winning early and and potentially losing later on is I think the game plan, and this is where uh, maybe this is a, an intangible point, but I'll make it. Brandon Moreno came in and fought a Brandon Moreno game plan. He didn't necessarily switch things up for Kaikara France. He just fought the way that he fought. The only adjustment that he made, I think, specific to Kaikara France was during the fight when he found himself in grappling exchanges. He realized that Kaikara France wasn't going to be easy to take down or easy to control. So he just used them as uh, switch ups to the game, mix ups in you know uh, diversity of, uh, of attack, but also use the transitions in the grappling exchanges to land shots on the break and, and going into the grappling exchanges. It felt as though, however, that Kai Kara France had a specific game plan for Brandon Moreno. And I think that game plan was surrounded around making Moreno slow down with the leg kicks, with the sweeps, with the straight hitting, with the footwork, with the pressure. But Moreno just came in and said, that's a really cool game plan. I'm just going to fight like I fight and that's how it's going to be. So I agree with you entirely that this was a performance for me that showed 
Moreno's overall ability. Now, don't get me wrong. Kaikara France was absolutely in that fight. I thought he performed well. I thought he took the shots well. I thought he landed his leg kick well. The sweeps were really beautiful. His takedown defense was really, really good. He was in some bad positions, back body locks and all of these sorts of things. And Moreno wasn't able to get to a position where he felt comfortable to commit to takedowns. That's a massive win for Kaikara France, a massive win. The finish was what it was, but I, I was actually impressed with both guys here. Yeah, I thought it was a good performance from both. In a way, like, I, I just, I thought, I, there was a part of me, right, coming into the fight where I thought, well, Kaikara France, I think, has ways to win this. And I don't think there was maybe any point throughout the fight, apart from maybe where Moreno was kind of losing a little bit where I thought maybe Kaikara France could win. I thought maybe Moreno could throw it away, but there was no point where I thought Kaikara France could win it. Maybe that's because, maybe that's my bias of looking at him at the start of the fight and going, Jesus, he didn't look right. And I, I, I don't think he did look right, but it's it's a fight as well, right? That they, they were saying in commentary, it was his first five-round fight, and God, that makes a difference. Because it felt to me like he was fighting a five-round fight, and everything you said there was to go along with that that he was fighting a five round fight and I think he was and I think if you're Kai Kara France and you find a fight a five round fight against Brandon Moreno that's not necessarily a great game plan and I don't think it necessarily was didn't fight badly fought well as you said I think he fought well as well but I don't think it was the the winning way to fight against Brandon Moreno but look we will uh We'll move on from that fight because we could spend we could spend hours talking about that fight. Maybe that's for uh, for a topic something like that. Look, Moreno's going to move on and he's going to fight Figueroa. Looks like, and I can't wait for. It. I think it's a fight that needs to happen, and we'll talk a lot about that. Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlovich, the stoppage. Look, first of all, Pavlovich came in. He landed a few hard shots as heavyweight tends to heavyweights tend to do. He absolutely hurt Derek Lewis. He put him down. Um. And there was a thing throughout the whole night with a lot of different stoppages where the referees were just getting too close. And Herb Dean is the worst for it. Oh my God, it was... Was it the Brandon Moreno fight where he was like literally on top of him? No, I don't... Maybe it wasn't the Brandon fight, but it was one of the fights anyway. It was literally just like, you know, like stutter stepping on top of him, like fucking walking like Michael Jackson fucking on top of the, the, the lad dancing around. It's like so bad. And that's what happened here with Morgliata, I think. I think he just got too close. He needed that... You know, you need to be close because if something massive happens, you need to get in and stop it. But what he needed to do there, right, Lewis got knocked down. It looked bad. There's no doubt about it. And it's not the worst stoppage in UFC history or anything like that. No doubt about it. It looked bad, Lewis. When you go down, you your head first goes down to the ground. It looks bad. And you can't criticize the referee too much. So I'm not criticizing Dan too much. But there was no doubt about it. This was an early stoppage. Like the second Lewis fell down, his hands immediately went out to push himself back up. Now, maybe he would have got back up, fell backwards, took a shot and okay it was all over he was terribly hurt but I don't think he was given the benefit of being uh, seen to be terribly hurt no shadow of a doubt he was hurt no shadow of a doubt he was knocked down but you know you know you have to know the fighter as well you have to if you're a referee you have to have common sense you have to know the fighter know someone like Derek Lewis can take shots like that and can come back can be hurt and can come back from it as well um, and he like it wasn't one of those ones where someone passed back and go oh, I'm grand and grand he was like on the way up when the fight was stopped and I didn't look I think it was a bad stoppage not the worst stoppage I've ever seen 
but Derek Lewis could have fought on another bit. Would, what would have happened? I think Pavlovich probably would have won, honestly. And I picked, I picked both of them actually. Oddly, I picked one on one place and then the other on the other place. I was right either way. But uh, yeah, I didn't think it was great. What did you think? So it's tough, right? Because if I, I agree with you that Derek Lewis was on his way back up, right? I agree with you. However, if on his way back up, Pavlovich lands an absolutely monster uppercut and just sends him crashing back backwards it, over his own knees and it's all mad. The fight's over, yeah. obviously. So did Dan do the right thing? It's tough because as you say, he face planted. Lewis he, did, he didn't face, face plant. He did not face plant. He was on his oh. knees, his head went down. He didn't face. Like when you face plant, it's like belly flopping your face on the ground. Ah, he look, didn't face plant. If your plant. face goes first to the floor, you're was planting head your first. face on the mat. It was head like, first more than face first, I would say. Ah, look, the same nah, thing. But nah, I, I agree with you that it was an early stoppage. I, I think your point about wanting to, especially uh, in, in the moment, I thought it was an early stoppage. You know, you go back and you look at the, the, the replays over and over and, you know, it, it looks, it looks worse slow motion than it does uh, look, look, look live. But, but I did think that Dan should have given him a chance given that, as you said, his head touched the mat, but immediately his hands posted out and he was pushing himself backwards. He was pushing himself back up. And that to me says that the fighter is still in the fight. If his head hit the mat and nothing happened, sure, stop it. No problem. He has no willingness to get back to his feet, but it didn't. He did put his hands on the mat and he did push himself back up. And you mentioned it there about Dan being too close. It felt as though Dan was so close that he'd already made the decision before he'd read what was happening. Something that somebody like Mark Goddard does really, really well is he's close and he's looking and he's communicating with the fighter, but he's never, I say never, obviously not never, everyone makes mistakes, but very rarely has he made a decision before he's asked the fight what's happening, right? And I felt like Dan had made a decision when that uppercut landed and the last uppercut landed and Derek Lewis was on the way down. I think Dan had already decided that the fight was over. You can you can almost as you were talking there, I could almost see Mark Goddard in my head and imagine uh, imagine him like a, an NFL player just about before you know the ball is thrown back to the quarterback and they're on the ground with their one hand on the ground, you know, like that. That Dan Murdiata felt like he was the quarterback standing there, hands up or fucking you know back up, standing straight up. You should be down low looking at that and. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself. If he doesn't protect himself, get in there. As you said, Mark Goddard always says that, you know, defend yourself, defend yourself. And if you're not defending yourself, absolutely move in there. Dan did not do that. He didn't He didn't do that at all. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't great. But anyway, uh, Pantoja against Alex Perez then. Uh, a quick rear naked choke here. Not too much to say about oh, really? it. Anything. Huh? Or, uh, sorry, I, I, I'm looking at the apology. I was, uh, it was definitely a neck crank more than a, a rear naked choke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a start to fight that Pantoja was just like well I've won this fight let's just you know raise my hand there man we'll go home kind of, kind of job wasn't it there, was, there wasn't too much in this one tell us uh, if you've anything to say about that but tell us about your guy Ankalaev as well Anthony Smith got his Ankalaev broken it, it, it was the weirdest thing ever the commentary on this he's broken his leg he's broken his leg did he break his leg though like did he break his leg or did he just did he check a kick and it was like hurt it was it felt it felt weird and they kept showing as well on the replay they showed the replay once right 
and Ankelaev checked the kick lovely from Anthony Smith. And then they showed a kick where Anthony Smith kicked him, and they're like, oh, that's where it happened. It's like, was it the was it where it happened, or was it the one where Ankelaev like absolutely fucking checked it? I don't know. I felt this was like, here's our buddy on you know uh, ESPN or whatever. We have to kind of protect him. Let, let's show it for him in a favorable light. It, it just felt a bit weird. It wasn't a great fight. It was an okay. Like Ankelaev. Angeliev is really good at fighting like a slow-paced winning fight. And Anthony Smith absolutely played into that game from the very start. And this, look, it was going to be a three-round domina- a domination for Angeliev. Like his last fight was at five rounds against uh, Chago Santos the last time. He's a very, look, he's a very good fighter, Angeliev. And I have a bit, I know he's your favorite fighter, so I have a bit of back and forth with you on, on that, you know, joking. But he is very good. I'd like to see a little bit more from him, to be honest. Uh, but uh, it was a good win here. What, what did you think of the performance overall? So I'm going to shock you, Shawnee. I think we should take a slightly slower role with Ankolaev. I think what we saw last night was if he is able to fight in a fashion that he is comfortable with, which is slow, I'm going to throw a one, maybe a two-shot combo. I'm going to check what you've got. I'm going to bounce around and I'm going to do the things. I think Anthony Smith said this and he said it to be negative, but you know, he said, oh, he's, a, he's got a very simple game. He does. He, he, he likes to bounce in, bounce around, keep his range, throw a leg kick now and again, cut an angle, check some stuff, land a one-two and maybe do a bit of grappling. He does it to a high degree, but in that second round, and I don't know when the ankle break happened, right? Did it happen when he checked the kick? It looked to me as there was there was a weird coming together where Anthony threw a right hand, kind of overreached, ankle I have ducked in to get a takedown, but Anthony kind of rolled on his left foot as he sort of fell to the ground. And then we had that sort of weird exchange at the last 10 seconds where ankle was landing some leg kicks and stuff. I don't know whether it was then, I don't know whether it was an accumulation of all of those things. Maybe it was a pre-existing injury. I don't know, but it looked... It looked strange, right? The whole fight was just kind of strange. In the second round, Smith comes out and tries to force the issue, actually gets to Ankolaev a little bit, lands some really nice one-twos. There's one or two situations where Ankolaev sort of caught on the back foot, caught on his heels, not really happy with the pace of things. And then Anthony Smith tries to pull bottom half guard. Like, what are we What are we doing? If he's got a broken ankle, why are we trying butterfly sweeps? Why are we trying any of that stuff, Right. I didn't, I didn't understand that decision-making whatsoever. Obviously, eventually Turtles gets pounded out, whatever. But I feel as though if you put in a Jamahal Hill who's going to drive a higher pace, if you put in a Yuri Prohachka who's going to drive a higher pace, even a Glover Teixeira that's going to drive a higher pace, I'm really interested as to whether Ankolaev can cope with that because it seemed to me in, in the second round of that fight for as long as it lasted, he absolutely wasn't going to be coping with that very well. Yes, he has big power. Yes, he lands well. But there were some footwork mistakes that we saw. There were some defensive hand movements that that we saw. There were some head movement mistakes that we saw. You don't want to be doing any of those against the Yuri Prohachka or Jamahal Hill, right? Yeah, 100%. I, I, look, here's a lot of learning to do. I, I would agree with you on that. And I think you've kind of covered him better than anyone else. And if you're saying that, I'm... I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah, so it's look it's, again a learning fight against a tough guy like Anthony Smith. He probably would have, for his own benefit, wished that it had kind of gone on for uh, for the next round. But anyway, Ankalaev moves forward and it's a good win from there. Um, after that, then it was it wasn't great to be honest. There was some 
good fights. There was a beautiful knockout with a, a hook to the body from Drew Dober after he set it up really well throughout the fight. He kept attacking uh, the body against uh, uh, Rafael or Rafael Alvarez. Uh, Alex Morono uh, won the, the decision against uh, Matt Simmelsberger. How was that fight not stopped by the doctor? His eye was completely closed. Ludicrous. Ridiculous altogether. Yeah, I thought that was pretty bad. Um, Hamdi Alda Wahab. Look, he's four fights into his career, first fight in the UFC. He lo- look, he looks like he has potential in that division. He went in and fought Dante Lemay's, who's clean useless, and, you know, won a split decision, made it look hard. But still, in all, that track are close, fought well. I, I like Michael Morales. I think this guy is has some potential. I think he's very raw, even though he's 14 fights into his career. Very, very, very raw. Him versus uh, Ian Gary, I suggested last night. I think that'd be a good fight. Like, I think as well... And, we, I, I, I know you love my, uh, my saying. Have the best fight, the best when they are the best. But in divisions like welterweight and lightweight, there are too many people there to avoid each other on the way up. I think lads like him and Ian Gary are going to have to fight for one position and take it. What, what did you think of Morales for before we move on? Of any of the other lads there that stood out to you? So I really liked the Drew Dober performance. Uh, I thought Drew Dober just showed that if you're just a better fighter than somebody who's trying to be an ultra athlete, you will, you will find your way through fights. Um, he did really, really well to stay out of the, the super mad exchanges and the setup for that shot, uh, to the solar plexus was absolutely beautiful. Really, really, really gorgeous setup. When he pushed him behind the tram lines, he was going up to the head. He was going to the body. He was coming with hooks. He was coming with elbows. He was coming with straight shots. Alves didn't know what was going to come. Right. And when the, the setup came, it came as if it was a straight shot. He went to the solar plexus. Lovely stuff. I thought Morono actually had a fantastic game plan against an, a, another big hitter. Instead of just, you know, being defensive and whatever, he just outvolumed Samuelsberger, which was wonderful. I have no idea why it wasn't stopped by the doctor. I also wouldn't have minded if it was stopped with the plethora of knees that were coming when Samuelsberger was not defending himself in any way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, good performance from Morono. The I thought Draco Close, as you said, was great. I thought the second round was a bit dodgy. Uh, Draco Close seemed to take his foot off the gas a little bit and Garcia put his foot on the gas, but he managed to recover really nicely in the third round. The Morales fight, this to me is a guy that is probably the best guy in his gym and relies too much on his power. Because there were moments in that fight when, when I have no idea how to pronounce this fella's name. Is it Fugit? Fugit? How are we going to say it? Fuck it. Fuck it. Right. Yeah. It felt to me as though Morales at times was landing shots and expecting Fugit to go away. And he didn't. He was still there. And he was offering Morales uh, looks that maybe he hasn't seen before. Now, there were moments that we saw Morales do good things. Really nice straight shots, some really good effective striking. And when he was taken down, he used the bait of the guard pass to allow himself to reverse the position and get up. That was nice too. I agree with you that he's green. I'm not sure that I like the Ingary fight right now, um, but it would be fun if it happens. Definitely it will be yeah. fun if it happens. Well, let's see it. Uh, I thought Trakar Close was, was pretty good as well. Um John, John Anik uh, talked about Ian's interview where about the, the leg kicks and the low calf kicks and stuff as well, so that was great. Uh, Jocelyn Edwards, she had lovely blue hair. Fair play there. Uh, Nikolai Nigamarianu, I thought he was good, to be honest. I thought he was one of these guys that kind of stood out in the car 13-1. and one. Um, 
a very good performance in Orion Cosk. Like that Orion Cosk Blood Diamond fight was fucking shit. And I, I, did, I, did, I think it was you who tweeted, was it, that said uh, Blood Diamond has improved. God almighty, how fucking bad was he last time on if he's improved? He just looks like the most awkward person to ever fight in the UFC. With he, he looks like his shoulders are about nine inches lower than his neck. He's, he's just one of these guys that, like, he can't physically defend himself because his arms are so low. It's weird. It's just, yeah, I, I, this was not a UFC-level fight. This was horrendous. I thought it was really, really bad. But anyway, overall, uh, some good things from the card. I would say it was not a great card overall, if we're being honest. Uh, a very noteworthy main event, a very good co-main event. Uh, great win for Pantoja, but the Ankalaya fight was a bit weird. Drew Dober got a great knockout. The Morona fight, Schmelzberger was you know, a bit weird because it could, probably should have been stopped. The Hamdi fight was probably not UFC quality. The opening fight, not UFC quality. Felt like Drakkar Close was kind of fighting a winning fight. Morales probably shouldn't be in the UFC at this stage either, even though he's good. Jocelyn Edwards is probably not UFC level. Nigga Mariana was good, but yeah, it was, it was, there was a lot of like. A lot of lower level stuff in this. But anyway, let's move on because we have a couple more things to actually talk about before we, we move on. Next week's UFC card, we'll obviously uh, talk about this on the um, on the preview show. And I'm sure Harry will have all your homework done by, by that time. But if you look at it, there's two... Um, <laughs> there is two tough fights in the middle of this main guard, which is going to make my night very, very fucking long next weekend. Uh, but at the top of it, we have Jamaha Hill versus uh, Chago Santos, Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal. Underneath that, we have uh, Augusto Sakai against Spivak, Lipsky against Cachuera. Sam Alvey is back again. Turns McKinney is on this guard, so that's pretty good. Um, it's it, You know what? Uh, Mario Bueno Silva is on the guard against Stephanie Agra. I actually don't mind this card too much there are some good fights in it for a fight night card especially the top two I, I like them very much give us a quick breakdown of the top two there Harry and I know you you, you do it in, in uh, a long order on uh, on Thursday but Jamal Hill versus Santos and Luke versus Neil what do you think I think Jamal Hill puts Thiago Santos away Tiago Santos hasn't fought like Tiago Santos pre the knee injuries. And for good reason, right? I totally understand. When you have to fucking reconstruct both of your legs after going through a 25-minute fight with John Jones, I totally understand when you're a little bit more apprehensive. However, the damage was the pivotal part of Tiago Santos's game. Jamal Hill is quicker. I think he's longer. He's obviously a little bit younger in the game. I think I think that's going to be a pretty one-sided fight, I imagine. Jeff Neal and, and Vicente Luque, my boy, War Luque. Um, this is a fun fight. This is a fun fight. Jeff Neal has a great kicking game. Do we see Luque grab those kicks and run him down? Do we see some front headlock exchanges? Do we see some darces? Who knows? With Luque, I think he's a more well-rounded fighter because he has ability to fight everywhere. I think Jeff Neal is going to want to keep this standing. That's a fun fight. I'm I'm super happy to see Terence McKenney back as well. Yeah, I I would agree with most of what you said there. I think Jamal Hill is going to have to have a little bit of a more refined game plan here, though. Tiago Santos, okay, he's been finished a few times in his career, but he's a hard out. You know, he's a tough guy. Um, and I don't think he's the sort of guy you kind of put him out with one shot. No, maybe you can, you know, but I like Jamal Hill. I think he is brilliant. And this, is a, uh, this is a great fight to learn at this point 
point in your career. You know, this is a losable fight for Jamal Hill if he doesn't fight the right way. Uh, but it's also a fight that you kind of have to fight well to win, I would say. Because Thiago Santos is no mug, and I, you agree, I would agree with everything you said about his knees. Um, but even still, he's had a couple of fights since then, even the Johnny Walker fight, you know, where he went five rounds and he did enough to win the fight because he can stay in there. He's a good technical fighter, became a better technical fighter probably around the John Jones fight. You know, that was the best and worst thing to ever happen to him. Uh, but a tough, tough matchup for Hill. I think Hill will come through it. I believe in his ability. And uh, yeah, I would expect uh, Luke to win that fight as well against Jeff Neal. Uh we have a PFL card then, and I will have a full breakdown of that over on uh, on Sherdog. Um, we have the four semifinals at two hundred five and at one fifty five. Uh, obviously, two in each division. We've Anthony Pettis rematching immediately against Stevie Ray. A very unusual thing that we don't see often in mixed martial arts. A fella finished, and in five weeks later or something like that, coming back. Can I just ask you, Harry, about that submission right in the first, and not necessarily about the submission itself. So I was like a kind of modified body triangle, half twister type of thing, which forced Anthony Pettis to tap. It looked like he had like a broken rib or whatever, and this is something that's happened to him before. We're five weeks on after that. Like, how long would that keep you out of the gym, first of all? How long did you reckon he got to prepare for this fight? So I've popped my rib before, and my, my missus has popped her rib. Um... A rib pop, she was out of the gym for six weeks. I was out of the gym for maybe three, maybe four. Mine was from striking, hers was from grappling. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is rough. I'm telling you, this is rough. Because if that was either a cartilage pop, a cartilage pop is in, in some ways worse than a break because the break is clean and it will repair and whatever the cartilage pop is just agony you're constantly in pain when you're breathing you're constantly in pain when you're moving now the same when you when, when you've got a break right but a cartilage pop is is so hard to heal whereas the bone will heal eventually right you can't reset it you can't do any of that but if it's true that pettis popped a rib or has a rib injury man five weeks turnaround is extremely short for him yeah, that'll be interesting. That's a big bar that is coming in here. 155 as well. Pettis might struggle to even get down to that way. You know, it's this is a very, very interesting one. Look, it's massive for Pettis because he gets redemption if he can win it and he gets it very, very quickly. And for Steve Uray to go in and do it again, I would say normally it's hard to go in and do it again. But when it's Anthony Pettis, you know, and it's the legend that is Anthony Pettis, it should make it a little bit uh, a little bit easier. Uh, the other 155 fight in is Alex Martinez versus Olivia Obamercia. I'm a big fan of Alex Martinez, honestly. I love his striking, but Obamercia just wins. You know, he just wins and wins and wins. And I think he'll probably win this as well. So that's uh, an interesting one there. Uh, Mary Ekmanov then against Josh Silveira. Love that fight. Omari's been knocking fools out all over the place. Silvera's the son of Conan Silvera. He's a really good wrestler, really good jiu-jitsu. I, I don't know who will win that fight. Honestly, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And then Rob Wilkinson, uh, he's ha- been on a great run since he lost Cesar Adesanya. He's 15-2 and two now. He has big power. Dylan Monte came in, lost very quickly to Shoeface. Uh, but um, 
and uh, you know Shufes is out of this and Silveira comes in as well he's out for, by injury but then he came back and he won really well in his last fight and just throws paws like literally just throws hands so that should be a fun fight as well on the undercard in um, Corey Hendricks and Martin Hamlet like if someone falls out with injury that'll probably be the replacement at 2 or 5 and there's a few other fights as well there nothing, uh, nothing standing out too much uh, but anyway last thing before we go Shauna Bannon assigned for Invicta this uh, this week. Ian O'Neill broke the story very well over in severemed.com. It's been a story that we've been sitting on for a while, but it's it's got done. I don't I think it was more a timing thing than anything else. I don't think there was any great uh, you know uh issues or anything like that. But it's a great move, I think, for Shauna Bannon. And I'll tell you exactly why and I was thinking about this for the last while when, when you know when we were waiting for the fight to become or for the uh, signing to become official. And it looks like as well she's gonna debut, I think it's on the twenty eighth of September to have an upcoming card, so you can check the date on that one, lads. Um if you're Shauna Bannon, right, and you sign for let's say a KSW, or you sign for even say a Cage Warriors or a Bellator or whatever. They're going to have to, like, find you fights. They're going to have to search out someone on your level. Maybe a matchmaker who's not used to doing that. Maybe they'll look at you and go, like, this could be a potential star. She's got a great look. She's got a great style. She's, you know, the you know, great story. She's the severe uh, amateur fighter of the year. It's, it's you know, massive. Uh but I don't think, and it'd be great for a promotion, but I don't know what would it be necessarily great for Shauna Bannon. But when you go and you sign for Invicta and she's 2-0 and and she needs fights, like she needs eight fights, probably, you know, to get to the UFC. Or maybe, you know, maybe she doesn't actually because we saw, you see people a lot less. But she needs, you know, she needs fights now in four months, in six months, in eight months, in ten months, in a year. She needs that many fights. And if you're in, signing for Invicta, well, you're signing for an all-women's promotion who have loads of fighters at your weight division and whose primary objective is to sign fighters like you and match them against other fighters like you. Whereas that's not the primary objective, maybe, of most uh, places around the world. Or if it is, they find it hard to do because a lot of fighters on Shauna Bannon's level are hard to find, you know, especially in this side of the world as well. We see cage wars. I don't are cage wars doing any women's fights at the moment. They haven't done, they haven't done a lot anyway over the last while. So it's, um, I think Shauna Bannon has made the right move. I think she's made the right move. I think in Victor are good. I look at, it, it, and when I say the right move, it, it, it's not necessarily a move that might go well. You know, she might win there and she might lose a couple of fights because they're going to match her against good people because she's good as well. And we'll see if she's experienced enough. We'll see, you know, it's Paddy Hoolan's first pro fighter. We'll see if he's a good enough coach and all that. Now, in my opinion, I think, if I was to call it, I think, yeah, I think she'll go out there and I think she'll probably win her next two, three, four, five fights and get to the UFC. I think, I think she is very, very good. But, the level she has fought has not been the same as the level she's about to fight. Let's put it that way. And we won't know until she makes that move. But if you haven't seen Shauna Bannon, she's very exciting. You know, kind of karateka, kickboxing stylist. She can kick high, spinning back fists, an intra- very interesting style. As I said, you know, Ian has, has uh, talked to her a good few times. She's a good few uh, interviews up on severemay.com. Um, 
and I'm really, really looking forward to to seeing Shauna. She, as I said as well, she's a great story and all of that. It's uh, it's brilliant for her. It's brilliant for Irish MMA as well. I'm brilliant for women's MMA in Ireland. I know we spoke about this. I know it was me and you or a few of us, but it's a great time for women's MMA in Ireland. Like you look at that, the biggest fight in Ireland in the last year or two years has probably been. You know, Leah McCourt versus Sinead Kavanagh. That was a massive fight. Leah's another big fight coming up. Sinead fought against Cyborg. She could, you know, she's coming back from the injury. You know, Ashling Daly has done great things. We see Dee Begley now out in, in combatches as well. You know, there's probably a few I'm, I'm even forgetting, but there's, and that's a good thing because there's more women coming up through Irish MMA all the time. And that's absolutely brilliant. Now, obviously, Danny McCormick as well. And, you know, it's a great time. What, what are your thoughts? I know you've seen a bit of Shauna Bannon. Uh, do you think it's the right move for her? I think it's the perfect move. It really, really is the perfect move. What this tells me, what this move tells me is that Shauna Bannon believes and her team believes that she's destined for bigger things. It tells me that she's had a proving ground regionally. Now she's going to take the next step up regionally. And Invicta, as you said, are going to find her females that are going to test her. They're going to find dominant grapplers. They're going to find her strikers with different styles. They're going to find well-rounded, well-matched fighters for her to go in there and test her skills. If anything that we've seen in her amateur and early pro career is anything to go by, we know she has power. We know she's intelligent. We know the style works well. Maybe there's some questions around the grappling. Maybe there's some questions around whether the style is going to be effective at the highest levels, but we're going to find out. We're going to find out. And I think Invicta is a, is a promotion that, as you said, it's all female. They're looking to build those fighters, build those stars and do it in the right way, pushing them onto the UFC with maybe not a perfect record, maybe not but they'll be going into the UFC at a level, at a standard that means that they can be functionally operational when they get to the UFC immediately. And that to me is the most important thing for Sean and Banner right now. Think about your longevity and think about the end goal. If your end goal is the UFC, which it clearly is, we'll get there in the best way. And I think Invicta will help her to do that. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. And yeah, it's a very interesting time for Irish MMA. We saw, and we, we spoke about it last week, all the signings going to PFL as well. Will Flory, John Mitchell and Nathan Kelly. They're, they're actually fighting, I think, next week, is it? So it'll be or in two weeks' time. Uh, so that'll be, uh, that's very, very interesting. We'll talk about their fights next week, obviously. Um, so big times for Irish MMA. It's... <laughs> There's a, there's a bit of sadness in me that some of these lads are not going to the UFC because, like, if you sign for PFL, unless it's and I, I believe they're all multi-fight deals, uh, or will look to be multi-fight deals. Anyway, I don't know how this PFL thing is working. It's like it's it, it's a European qualifier. So that mean if you win that, you're into like a European one, or you're into like the world one next year. I I don't know how it's working. Maybe I should ask, but uh, I suppose we'll find that out. Uh, but yeah, a very interesting time for Irish. I mean, uh, obviously we've Bellator coming up. It's coming quickly, you know. It's not too far away, and uh, and all of that. So, and I'm sure old Connor will be back as well at some stage. Well. So, right, we will leave it at that, Harry. Great debut, brilliant, brilliant performance here. Do you know what? We might have to throw Graham out in his ear altogether. Stay out in sight ah, there. Stay, stay there, stay there. But uh, fair play to you. you, did a great job. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining me today. If you haven't followed him already, please do at BJJ underscore Harry Powell. That's correct, isn't it, Harry? Did I get it right there? BJJ underscore Harry Powell. 
I've passed out severe men a number of followers. So don't follow me. There's no need. I'm bigger than the game now. Go to SeanGeneBA.com for all, <laughs> for all your for all your updates. No, no, no. Go to SeveraMen.com. We're still there for another while. Uh, but uh, yeah, shout out to Ian, Andy, Quilcha. Har- the two Harrys Ian and all the lads as well for the great work and Spencer uh, that was, uh, they've been doing over the last while follow all of them as well severemma.com manscaped.com use the promo code severemma um, and oh yeah head on over as well to our friends at eatallreal.com they've been showing great support for us over the last while use that promo code severemma it's still working there as well and get some uh, beautiful stuff from there Right, we will leave it at that. Harry, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much. Graham, enjoy your holiday. Up Limerick. We'll see you all next time.